Well, hello, PBC. It's great to hear stories about how God's working in our lives. I love uh, the privilege of just hearing how these ideas are kind of taking root in our lives. Well, it was my girlfriend's 21st birthday, and I decided that we were going to do something special. So I uh, made plans to take my girlfriend up to San Francisco, and we went to a nice restaurant in North Beach, and then we went swing dancing after dinner. That was all great, and then we went back to where I'd parked the car, only the car wasn't there. Somehow in its place, there was a driveway, and uh, turns out the car had been towed. So this is before cell phones, and so we had to flag down a police officer, and there were a couple more complications. The police officer gave us the wrong address, so we went down to an empty lot and then had to hail another cab to get to the right address. And finally, we got to the impound lot where my car was towed to. This is probably about 12.30 in the morning now. We're all in our nice swing dance clothes. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, our credit card machine is broken. We need cash. So I said, well, where's an ATM? They said, well, about 10 blocks north on Market Street. So I said, okay. So we walk up 10 blocks. We get out $300 of cash from the ATM. And then about 1 in the morning, walk down south of Market, 10 blocks, with $300 cash in my pocket, dressed nicely. And I just remember how convinced I was. I mean, you couldn't tell I was carrying cash, but you could probably read it on my face. So I just remember thinking this is not going to go well. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series in the book of Ezra called Return and Rebuild. And this morning's story is a journey story. A few weeks ago, we heard of the first return of a group of exiles. That was Sheshbazar, who returned from Persia to Jerusalem with a group of people. This morning, we're going to hear about the second return, which is by the man named Ezra. So Ezra is going to take another group from Persia to Jerusalem. This is a long journey. It's a dangerous journey. But even more than that, Ezra is going to be carrying a massive amount of wealth on this journey. The Persian king, the Persian government, and some of the Jews in exile have all contributed towards a fund of valuables that means this journey is particularly dangerous. And as we read about his story, we're going to be thinking about what it looks like to be carrying a treasure. Now, whenever we read the scriptures, we're always doing a few things at the same time. First of all, we are trying to understand what the original text is about, what the original author was trying to communicate. And in this story this morning, we have this fantastic tale of a group of people traveling 900 miles, carrying a massive amount of wealth and the various obstacles they encountered along the way. But when we read the Bible, we're also trying to understand what the Spirit of God is telling us through that story for us today. And as I was studying and praying about this passage, the phrase from 2 Corinthians 4 kept ringing in my ears. In that chapter, the Apostle Paul talks about us 
as carrying treasures in jars of clay. I couldn't quite get that phrase out of my head. Now, the treasure that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, he defines as the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for a phrase to to dwell on for the next week or or decade, uh, that's a good one. Think about that phrase, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful idea. Paul says we carry that treasure in us. Simply put, it's the treasure of the gospel. The story of a God who goes to incredible lengths to sacrifice himself to restore and redeem his creation who rejected him and chose death. That's the treasure that we carry. So this morning, we're going to be thinking about three different journeys. We started off thinking about this journey that my girlfriend and I took carrying a bunch of cash through downtown San Francisco. We're not going to talk much more about that journey. The second journey we'll think about is this journey that Ezra took with his crew of people carrying a bunch of wealth 900 miles to Jerusalem through dangerous territories. But we're also going to be thinking about the journey that we are on in this world, here and now, and the treasure that we carry in the gospel. Now, the story in Ezra this morning is a, is a typical journey narrative. So there's a series of obstacles, and at each point we see how that particular obstacle gets overcome. And at each point, God shows up. God's the one who makes this journey successful. In the last chapter, we heard about Ezra deciding to leave Persia. When we get to Ezra 8, we hear of him making the plans for the journey. Here's the first two verses, Ezra 8, 1 to 2. These are the heads of the father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king, of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattush. Goes on, and for the next 12 verses, we hear about a bunch of people that go with Ezra on this journey. All told, it's about 1,500 men that are referenced. If you add on women and children, that's probably about 5,000 people that make this journey. The first journey that Sheshbazar made was probably around 50,000 people. Now we have 5,000. Historians estimate that there were uh, between 2 and 3 million Jews living in Persia at this time, of which now we see 55,000 return. That's less than 3%. So we need to understand this is not a popular decision. This was not a journey that most of the exiles wanted to make. And part of the reason was probably because of how strenuous it was. This is the route that they would have taken. They started off in um, Persia, And they traveled up, wisely going around the massive desert rather than through it, coming in from the north, coming down to Jerusalem. 
It's about 900 miles. And you'll be happy to know that if you want to take this trip today, then Google Maps can help you. Uh, they'll have a nice walking route they can show you. Google says it'll take about 245 hours, uh, but they're not factoring in ancient roads, uh, traveling bandits, uh, carrying around you know, goats and sheep and oxen and stuff like that. So Ezra and his crew took about three and a half months to make this journey. So you have 5,000 people, animals, women and children, carrying a ton of wealth, traveling 900 miles. What could go wrong? Well, let's find out. The first problem begins in verse 15. Ezra decides to stage everybody for his journey near a river to gather up supplies and get ready to go. But as he's taking stock of who's with him, he realizes he has a problem. Ezra 8, 15. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Now, if you remember, they're carrying valuables for the temple. And we know from last week that Ezra was a man who knew the law. Well, the book of Numbers is very clear that only Levites were allowed to carry temple treasures. That was their job, to carry the valuables whenever God's people would travel anywhere. So Ezra looks around and sees there's no Levites. How are we going to make this journey without the right people? So this is the first problem. They don't have the right people for the job. Now, if you've ever been part of a team, a, a sports team or a work team or a project in school, you know that it's critical to have the right people doing the right things at the right times. You need people that are qualified for the tasks before them. Ezra doesn't have those kinds of people. Now, this is a huge problem. Remember that this was not a popular journey. Where are you going to find Levites to make this trip on short notice? But this is the first time that we see God come through. Listen to verses 16 to 18. Then I sent, that's Ezra, for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarab, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joyrib and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Iddo, the leading man at the place, Casaphia, telling them what to say to Iddo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place, Casaphia, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Now it continues on and we find out that Ido, this particular person who we don't know much about, was able to find 38 Levites to travel with this group of Ezra. God came through. God found the people that he needed complete the journey that he called them on. Notice the phrase there, 
the hand of our God was on us, the good hand of our God. If you remember last week, we actually heard that phrase three times. The hand of our God showed up three times, and this week as well. In fact, with each obstacle that Ezra and his group faces, the hand of God will show up to overcome the obstacle. God's hand was on them, and so the first problem was solved. Now, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you feel like you are not equipped to do the task that is set before you? Or maybe you're facing a challenge, and you feel like you don't have what it takes to overcome the obstacle that you're facing. Or maybe you, you have this job to do and you know for sure that you are not the best person to do that job. There are other people who would do this way better than you would, and yet somehow it's fallen on you. Do you ever feel like you are not the right person for the job? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul talks about our calling. This is how he begins. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Now, if you remember what this ministry is, it's carrying the treasure. And that treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God In the face of Jesus Christ. That is a massive ministry to carry. The Apostle Paul says we have that ministry not because we're qualified for it, but by the mercy of God. This is what I want you to know this morning. You are the right person for the job that God has called you to do. You are the right person for the job. Ezra knew that he needed Levites, so he sent his people out to find Levites who were qualified to do the job that he needed done. God needed you. He sent out to find you to do the job that he has called you to do. And this is one of our passions at PBC, to help all of us understand the unique way that God has called each of us and to empower us and equip us and encourage each other to live into that calling. I hope you know that God has given you a calling, some purpose where you are uniquely equipped to do his work. And that calling is not to live a happy life. That calling is not to get your needs met in your marriage or to make enough money to to provide for your family or to leave money for your grandkids or to found a company that changes the world or to solve some big problem. 
You may do those things along the way, but your calling, God's call on your life is to know Jesus Christ. And having that knowledge to share that with others. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And there is some unique way that God is inviting you to know Christ and to make him known. And you are the right person for that job. Whatever it is God is calling you into, you're the right person to do it. So Ezra has found his Levites. The first problem has been solved. Now we get to the second problem. And it turns out that Ezra has made some statements confidently that now he needs to come to God to ask him to follow through with. He has told the Persian king that that there's no need for military escort on this journey because his God is so powerful And now he realizes, I need to really ask God to come through and protect us. Listen to verses uh, 21 through 23. They're still at the river. Uh, Ezra says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. I love the realism of this passage. Ezra kind of got himself in a jam. (laughs) He told the king, hey, it's all right. You know, the hand of our God is for good on those who seek him. And then he realizes, I got to pray that God would come through, that God would protect us. And so he gathers everybody together and they fast and they pray and they ask God to show up and protect them along the way. Now it's interesting because Another uh, 12 or 15 years later, Nehemiah will make another journey from Persia to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah will accept the military escort. He will travel with the army. And so some people say, oh, well, you know, Ezra must have had more faith in Nehemiah. And they want to make this comparison. But I don't think that's the point. Because the point of this story is not Ezra's great faith. It's that God came through. And once again, how did that happen? Ezra said, the hand of our God is for good on those who seek him. Once again, the hand of God saves them. When I was a student at Stanford, I helped out with this group called United in Christ. We were a a fellowship that, kind of a a loose group of people that gathered people from all the other fellowships and tried to coordinate some events where all the Christians on campus would come together periodically. One year we did an all-campus retreat where we invited people from all the fellowships to go away together for a weekend. 
And we were a little overconfident on how many people that would uh, participate on our retreat. So we made some promises and signed up for more numbers than we got, which meant at the end of the retreat, we were in the hole for about $5,000. A bunch of students, sheepishly, we, uh, we approached some of the churches in the area, including PBC, and said, hey, uh, we kind of made a mistake here. Can you help us out? And graciously, several of the churches did, and uh, they kind of covered our overconfidence. I kept thinking of that story as I read about Ezra asking God to come through to provide for them and protect them. And he did. We read that God listened to their entreaty. Lately, I've been hearing people use the word overwhelmed a lot. I've heard that our medical industry is overwhelmed that our supply chain is overwhelmed, that our infrastructure is overwhelmed, that the basic things that make life work are stretching to the breaking point. I've heard this from people, too. People saying they're just overwhelmed by all the things. Life was hard before the pandemic, and then things broke down, and now things are starting to come back, but we have to deal with this trauma We have to relearn social skills. We have to constantly face the questions of when or if this will be over, of what life will look like. And people just feel like, how can we do it all? Just tired and overwhelmed. And then you come to church hoping to rest, and your pastor says, you have a great calling, and you carry this great treasure, and you're up for the task. And you think, come on now. I barely got here on time. But God comes through in these moments. God reaches out and he cares for us. See, when the Apostle Paul talks about this ministry, this is how he finishes that sentence. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. The Apostle Paul knew about losing heart. He got discouraged. He got frustrated. He felt overwhelmed. And yet he says that we do not have to lose heart. And I think it's what Ezra knew that we can know to help us not lose heart. He knew that the hand of our God is for good to those who seek him. Because of that, We don't have to lose heart. The hand of God, God's hand is on you when you seek him. Have you ever had that experience of being comforted by somebody's hand on you? Or the touch of a close person? I remember this was, I think it was... Uh, right after I graduated from high school and there was some situation I was facing involving a girl that I liked who didn't like me and et cetera, et cetera. And one of my friends said, can I give you a hug? And they did. And I just remember just the comfort from that touch. And another time, my wife and I, this was early in our marriage, we had to put down 
a dog that we'd had. And driving back from the veterinarian after that appointment, I was just weeping, sobbing. And she put her hand over, we were in the car, she put her hand and just, just touched me with her hand. And I, it was like electricity, just comfort flowing from her touch. We have here this phrase from Ezra. He was so confident. He knew this so much that he declined Persian army. He said, we don't need the Persian army. We have the hand of God on us. I want to give you a chance. Just, I don't know, if if closing your eyes helps, close your eyes. Just whatever it is that feels overwhelming to you right now, can you know that God's hand is on you? Can you feel his touch, his comfort flowing to you? We do not lose heart because God's hand is on us when we seek him. Well, Ezra and his crew have prepared for the journey. They've found their Levites. They've entreated God to protect them. And now they face the the problem that has been looming this whole time. How do we safely carry a massive amount of wealth on this trip? To solve this problem, Ezra comes up with a plan. Listen to verses 24 through 26, and then I'll jump to 28 and 29. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hand 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents, and 100 talents of gold, etc., etc. We get to verse 28. He says, And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them, until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. Now, it's not immediately obvious to us how much money this was. But based on our understanding of the conversion rates, this, these talents equated to 35 tons of silver and gold. Now that seems a little bit tricky to figure out how such a small number of people carried that much weight of metal. So it's possible maybe our conversions are off. We don't understand how the ancient uh, system worked. But at that rate, that would have been about $250 million worth of valuables that this band was carrying 900 miles. And even if the numbers are slightly off, the point is, it's a lot of money. They're carrying an enormous amount of wealth that has been donated for the sake of becoming in service 
in the temple of God. And what Ezra does is he comes up with a plan to solve this problem. It's a basic diversification portfolio. He picks 12 guys and he says, why don't each of you carry some of it so that if anybody attacks, maybe at least we won't lose all of it at once. That's kind of his idea. And it turns out that it works. What I love about Ezra, though, here is that first he prays. He asks God to protect them. And then knowing that God is going to protect them, he doesn't just go about recklessly and say, oh, well, God's going to take care of it. We're fine. Then he comes up with a plan that makes sense to implement this journey. And along the way, everything goes fine. God protects these people. Listen to verse 31. We read, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. One last time, the hand of their God protected them, and the plan worked. They made it to Jerusalem with all the money. All three obstacles were overcome. Well, one last time, let's jump to 2 Corinthians 4 and let's read what Paul says about the treasures that we carry. Here's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We carry around this treasure in jars of clay. That's a reference to our our physical bodies, the the limitations of our physical bodies. Now remember what that treasure is? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How much would you pay to live one more year than you otherwise would? Let's say, you know, you could go to Amazon and click buy now on one additional healthy year. What would you pay? What would it be worth? What's the market rate for an extra year of life? I don't know. I mean, let's say the supplies are unlimited, right? $1,000, Let's go with $100, all right? Let's say that you could pay $100 for an extra year of a healthy life. Now, What's a hundred times infinity? Infinity, right. I know, it's hard. Math is tricky. It's early, I get it. Infinity, right? So this treasure that we have is the promise of eternal life. The story of a God who reaches out to us to restore us to himself so that we may live with him forever. So if you would pay $100 to live one more year, the promise of eternal life is literally of infinite value. This treasure that we carry is worth a whole lot more than $250 million. You carry an incalculable treasure. I became fond of this word as I prepared this sermon. An incalculable treasure. I like that it's really hard to pronounce and I can sound smart when I'm saying it. But it also like 
makes it you sound even more valuable because it's hard to say the word. A treasure that is unable to be counted. That's what we carry within ourselves. And why do we carry it? Why were we entrusted with it? Because we're so good at carrying treasures, because we have what it takes, because we are equipped for this type of responsibility. None of that. Why were we given this treasure? So that the surpassing power of God may be clear. Ezra's plan was to take his treasure and to divide it up among 12 people and then send them on the journey. That strike you as familiar to any of us? Isn't that what Jesus did? He took his treasure, which, which we already said was of infinite value, and he divided it up among 12 people. One more math exercise. What's um, infinity divided by 12? Infinity, right. All right, we're catching on here. So each one of these people now had their own infinite treasure, and they spread it. And each time they divided it, it became infinite once again. And over the course of time and over the course of faithful treasure bearers, that message came eventually to us. And we heard of that treasure. And now it's in us, in our jars of clay, that infinite treasure that we carry wherever we go. And we know that God is capable of keeping us safe, of helping us to fulfill that calling that he has given us to carry the treasure to where it belongs. And that's the journey that we're on. Well, my girlfriend and I made it through south of market carrying the money. We got my car Everything worked out fine. In fact, 14 months later to the day, we got married. And uh, yeah, turns out that uh, walking through dangerous territory was, was good preparation. We have five teenagers now, and that's a whole lot scarier than uh, carrying $300 south of market. So the journey continues. 22 years later, we've been uh, married, and God's hand is faithful. We saw Ezra. And his group of people, we saw how three times God's hand was on them to find the right people, to protect them and comfort them, and then to enable them to carry this treasure safely. And we've been thinking about the journey that we are on, how God has called each of us to some unique role in his kingdom that only we can do that he comforts us. His hand is there on us as we go. And this treasure we carry is of infinite worth. I want to invite the band back up. And as they come back, I want to uh, encourage us to be thinking about this journey that we are on. To be thinking about the treasure you know, we're, we're not likely to face bandits or to be attacked for this treasure, but we are prone to forgetting 
the value of the treasure we carry and the importance of offering that treasure to others. So let's pray that God would empower us and equip us to do that. Father, thank you. Thank you for this message of the gospel, for going to such great lengths to restore us to relationship with you, for the way that you work by not just showing up and doing everything yourself, but by entrusting us with an incalculable treasure so that we have to rely on you. We have to see your power at work. And we get to see your work through us for the sake of the kingdom. Help us to be faithful with the task you've given us. And may we constantly sense your hand giving us comfort along the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.